From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Today is a good day. It's Sunday. Who's excited to be in church? Today's a good day for more than one reason. Today, my family is with us today, permanently, so I'm excited about that, um, and, and they're excited as well. We feel, we just, we're excited, and just so you know, um, Jody and I, we're a team. This is not Call and his family. This is Jody and Carl and their family. Just you need to know that right off the hop. We're, as the scriptures say, we're one, and we try to act as one all the time. So uh, we're excited. We're excited to be here. It's also a good day because it's Palm Sunday. Today's the day that marks the beginning of what many churches refer to as Holy Week, which is the events that lead up to Jesus' death and resurrection um, this coming weekend. And we are excited about Easter. We're excited about Jesus' death and resurrection because without that, without what he accomplished through the cross, we wouldn't be here. Parkway wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be gathering like this. We exist because a God man, a perfect man, died in our place for our sins and and paved the way for us to exist eternally with God in heaven and paved the way for us to have full life today. And so we are excited about Easter and we're excited about what's happening Easter weekend here at Parkway, as you saw on the screen. Um, We got a whole weekend full of stuff, our communion Good Friday service on Friday, this Friday at 10 a.m., followed by our Easter egg hunt community event at 12. That is rain or shine. If it's raining, we're going we're gonna to make a way for it to be indoors. We're not letting rain stop us, all right? Um, it's going to be good. And some people say, well, why an Easter egg hunt? Why are we going to do an Easter egg hunt? Well, we want to trick them. And we don't want to trick them, but we want to reach people. We want to reach kids, and we want to reach parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and families because we want a future for Parkway, and we're thinking about legacy. And one of the scriptures that is dear and close to my and Jody's heart is Psalms 78.4. It says this, we're not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation, the next generation, if we want this church to to be here, Parkway, to be here 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, we need to be thinking about, as some of you refer to as the ankle biters. We need to be thinking about the little ones. But we're excited about Easter, um, Good Friday. We're excited about Easter Sunday, for those of you who are unaware. Easter is probably the one time of the year, with the exception of maybe Christmas, where unchurched people will be willing to come to church. Those who don't usually come to church, if there's an invitation, they'll actually come. And so we want to inv- invite you to invite others, extend the invitation to come, because you never know who will encounter the gospel and meet Jesus for the first time. And we're excited about Easter Sunday. we got a lot going on. Um, if you call Parkway your church home, though, I need you to do me a favor, all right? I need you to do me a favor, and I need you to be willing to possibly break free from the habit of sitting where you usually sit. I know that's a tough pill to swallow. I know that's a tough pill to swallow. But just in case, just in case we need to make more room, we want to make sure there is room. And so there's a whole row of seats at the front that we can fill up. Fill up the space. And if you're able-bodied and your legs are working and we need to make room completely, we might need some people to stand. And so be willing to stand and and step aside. I'm not saying we're going to be there. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But we need to be willing to provide a way for anyone and everyone to come. 
right? And if that means we got to make room so that someone can sit down and make room, if you are a young guy, I'm talking to you specifically, right? You've got strong legs, get up and move out of the way so someone can sit down and, and maybe meet Jesus because it's important. Jesus is about meeting people and people meeting him for the first time. I love 2 Peter 3.9, another one that is dear and close to our hearts. says, God does not want anyone to perish. Nobody to perish, but everyone, everyone come to repentance. So let's do whatever we can so that anyone and everyone can come. Amen? Amen. How many of you guys are enjoying the series we're in, Taking Ground? This is, uh, this is the final message in our series today, and then we're going to get into Easter. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 23. And I have a message this morning. It's titled this, and I think it's for someone this morning. It's called Hold Hard. Hold Hard. I don't know if you've ever played Tug of War before, but if you've played Tug of War before, you know that you need some good tread on your shoes and a secure, tight grip in order to hold hard because there's something that is pulling against you, right? And that's the other team. That's the other side. But in life, that's our world today. We live in a, in a Western, civilized, non-Christian nation. Believe it or not, as much as it was built on Christian values, it is not driven by Christian values. And so we are surrounded by people who are not followers of God, and it can be difficult. It can be difficult to live for Jesus in our society and our world today. The temptation and the lure and the influence to conform to the patterns of this world can be powerful, and so we need to hold hard. We need to hold hard. Touch somebody and say, hold hard. If we want to take ground, we need to hold hard. So we've been in this series um, for the, actually since I arrived here, for a number of weeks now, and the idea is that there's ground to be taken in and around our lives, in our, in our hearts. We're talking about hearts this morning, in our minds, in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, areas that need to be conquered for the kingdom of God in order for us to live within the promises that God has for us. Right, and we've been looking at the story of Joshua and God's people, the Israelites, from thousands of years ago. And if you recall... If you know the story of the scriptures, before Jesus made a way for anyone and everyone to be a part of God's family, God had a chosen people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, that he was using to usher in his plan of redemption, ultimately pointing towards Jesus. And just so you know, everything in the scripture points towards Jesus. From the beginning all the way to the end, it's not just the New Testament. It's all the way in the beginning, all the way pointing towards Jesus. And so God was using the Israelite people. And this group of people, the Israelites, were slaves under the Egyptian nation and ruler Pharaoh for almost 400 years. But God, through his power and his love, delivered them from oppression and led them to the promised land. But the promised land was filled with inhabitants. And God was going to use the Israelite people to drive out these, this group of people, the Canaanite people, because of their wickedness, because of their sinfulness. He was going to drive them out and ultimately give the land to the Israelites so they could live and rest in peace um, and freedom. However, there were obstacles to overcome. And we've encountered a lot of these through looking at the stories throughout Joshua. There's obstacles that they needed to overcome. God was going to give them victory, but they needed to align themselves with God. Right? There's victory for you. There's victory for you in Jesus, but we need to align ourselves with God and, so, and do the work, right? As the Bible says, we need to work out our salvation as he works in us. We can't just sit back. And so the Israelites, they needed to accomplish the work. They need to overcome the obstacles. And if we, want, if we want to live for Jesus, if we want to find freedom in our lives, if we want to discover our purpose and make a difference, then we need to overcome the obstacles in our life. We need to take ground in our life. We need to advance and move forward in order to see the kingdom of God move in and through our lives. Because regardless of where you are in your faith, I know I'm talking fast. Regardless of where you are in your journey, regardless of where you are in your understanding, there is always a next step to take. There's always a next step to take. Whether you, you've just stepped foot into church for the first time or you've been a Christian all your life, 
30, 40 years, there's always a next step to take. And so today marks our final look at this. And the final instruction is to hold hard to God while living in the land. Hold hard to God while living in the land. Joshua chapter 23. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll begin reading. So Father, we, we thank you that we have opportunity in our country, even in this non-Christian driven nation, Lord, uh, to look at your word freely. And so we pray this morning as we open up the scriptures, would you speak to our hearts, God? Help me to speak with clarity. Help me to, to deliver this in a way, God, that is clear, God. But ultimately, I pray that you would speak to every heart. You'd speak to every mind. Lord, you'd speak to every person. Lord, that you change us and transform us by your presence and your spirit this morning, we pray, God. Help us to hold hard. Help us to hold hard in a culture of compromise. Help us to hold hard to you and remain faithful, God, when there's temptation and influence around us that is ungodly. I pray, Father God, regardless of what we encounter, Father God, we would hold hard. We'd remain as Joshua. And as we look at the story today, God, teach us something as only you can teach us in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So Joshua chapter 3, 23, starting at verse 1. I think it's going to be on the screen. Yes, it is. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, where are my old guys at? Nobody put up their hand. Summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I'm very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land that, of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Verse 6, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with the nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast or hold tight or hold hard to the Lord your God as you have until now. Jump to verse 12. It says, but if you turn away... And ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you. And if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord has given you. So if you've followed along with us, if you've journeyed with us until this point, let me just uh, give you a quick recap, right? Because I know that I'm, this is in my brain, and I know that I'm, I, I'm aware of all this, but sometimes as we just come to church, we can walk out these and completely forget what happened, right? I, I'm aware of that, so I'm going to give you a quick recap. Here we go. First, we checked out Numbers 13 and 14. We looked at the generation of God's people before they entered the land and how they were prohibited from entering the land because they couldn't see the promise for the problem. You remember, they focused on the giants and not the grapes. They focused on, on the obstacles and not, and not the lush, productive land. And we looked at the fact that what you're looking for determines what you see. What you're looking for determines what you see. And I challenged you to see bigger grapes in the midst of big giants. Then we looked at um, 40 years later, the previous generation had died off except for Joshua and Caleb. And God said to this entire generation, he said, get ready. Get ready and move forward. And the challenge for us was to rise up and be prepared to move forward into the things that God calls us. Did you know that God is calling you to move forward? God is calling you to be forward. And there is a challenge for us to rise up, to shake off the dust, get off of our chair, and move forward in the things of God. From there, we looked at the story of Rahab. 
I love the story of Rahab, a prostitute and brothel owner, and we saw how God can and will use anybody for his redemptive purposes and weave them within his redemptive story. Then we came to Joshua chapter 3, where a fierce flowing river stood between the Israelites and the promised land. And we saw how God can work miracles before we experience them. If you remember the story, they had to step into the raging river, and the water was cut off a great distance away before they experienced it. And we talked about how when we stand with God's presence in the midst of overwhelming obstacles, he can provide. Then we looked at the battle of Jericho, how the people came before these massive, impenetrable walls, but they needed to get through these walls in order to take the city and get through the city in order to take the land. And God's instructions to overcome the city was a bit unorthodox, right? Walk around the city, around and around, and they could probably feel and sense that they're just going in circles. But the challenge for us was just because your progress isn't obvious doesn't mean your faith isn't working. And we saw God provided for them again. And finally, last week, we examined the story of Achan and how his choice, his sinful action, impacted the whole nation. We talked about sin. It's missing the mark. Right? It's fallen short of the standard. And we talked about its deathly consequences, but we pointed towards the cross and we looked to Jesus and what he did to atone and to make amends for our sins. Come on, people, that's good. And where we end today is Joshua's final instruction to God's people. He's about to pass away. He's at the end of his life. He's accomplished all that God's accomplished for him. He's remained faithful. And I love that about Joshua. So it's easy when you're, when you're somewhere positioned in your life to look back and see all the things that God has done or see, just see the trajectory of your life and the place that it's taken. He's at the end of it. He's come to the end. He's looking back now, or we have an opportunity to look back and see his faithfulness in the midst of God's faithfulness. And I love that about Joshua. He's a faithful leader. He trusted God and he obeyed God regardless of the challenges, regardless of the giants, regardless of the obstacles, regardless of what was in front of him, he was faithful and God gave him victory. There is fruit in his life. There's fruit. And I was reading the other morning in Luke chapter 6 that a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And that is not rocket science, right? We know that. And as I reflected on Joshua, I considered the fruit in his life. I considered his perspective, right? He saw the promises and not the problem. I, I considered his devotion, I considered his leadership, his commitment to God. And not all about you, but I want to produce good fruit in my life. I want to get to the end of my life like Joshua did and look back and be able to see God's faithfulness and see fruit that's come from my life. I want good fruit. Jesus said this. He said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, I shared it earlier. Good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. So that makes me question, what are we storing up in our heart? We want to take ground. We want to overcome obstacles. We want to see the promise of God fulfilled in our life. We want to step forward. We want to pursue the purposes of God and walk in the purposes of God. Well, what are we storing up in our heart? Because what is stored up in our heart will come out of our lives. So is there hatred? You know, well, I like you, Pastor Paul. Yeah, you might like me, but do you hate somebody? Is there hatred? Is there bitterness? Is there selfishness? Is there pride? Is there peace? Is there love? Is there grace? Is there righteousness? What is stored up in the heartbeat of this church? Because what is stored up in the heartbeat of this church will come out of this church. Is there unity? Or is there division? Is there sacrifice? Or are we consumers? Because if we're consumers and we just come to church, we're not going to advance the kingdom of God. We're not going to see the kingdom of God advance in Corona. 
We need to come together. We need to be serving. We can't just be consumers. And I look at Joshua's life. He had good fruit because I believe he had good things stored up in his heart. We could do a whole series on fruit. Joshua wasn't perfect, but he remained faithful. Jesus said this. He said in in John chapter 15, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. We know this. You've probably heard it before. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so Joshua is at the end of his life. And what can we say of his life? What can we say of the story that he's remained faithful? He's not perfect, but he's remained faithful. And there's fruit from that. And that's a good legacy to leave. I don't know about you, but I want to leave a good legacy. I want to leave a good legacy. And I want my my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids, these ones don't exist yet, just so you know, (laughs) and my great-great-grandkids, and long before I'm gone, be able to look back and see the change that happened because of the way I I chose to live my life. I want good fruit. And so in order to get the good fruit, in order to leave the legacy, I need to store up good things in my heart because what is in my heart flows out of my life. And if you want to know what's stored up in your heart, look at your life. What's flowing out of your life? Just step back. If you can step out of the box, it's hard sometimes to step out of the box. Just, just, just evaluate yourself and examine yourself and be like, okay, what is coming out of me? I'm angry. Sometimes I do that. I'm angry right now. I'm, I'm bothered. I'm frustrated. Okay, wh- where's this coming from? And sometimes it's hard in the midst of it. You can ask my wife. He's, he's not reflecting in the middle of it. <laughs> but after, I go, okay, wait. Well, what am I storing up in my heart? Joshua stored up good things. So he calls all of Israel to give his final address. And I don't know if you've ever come, um, journey with someone to the end of their life, but usually the end of the life, those last moments are the ones that you hold on to. They're the ones you don't forget. And sometimes people use those last moments to say the things that are most important to them, right? And so those are the ones we, we tend to listen to the most. So this is what Joshua is about to do. It's his final instruction. It's his final words. I imagine the people's attention are glued to him. What's he going to say? Many years had passed. It had been a long time that people had driven out nation after nation after nation, and because of their obedience, God gave them victory, and they took ground. They took ground. There was peace. No war was happening, and this is what Joshua says first. I love this, verse 3. He says, you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. You've seen everything. You've seen it with your own eyes, unlike the previous generation. You've seen it with your own eyes. He's fought for you and he's given you victory. Do you know it's important to look back at the past, what God's done? It's important to recall the things with gratefulness of what God's accomplished. Because when we don't, in our comfort, in our ease of life, we'll forget and we'll no longer give honor where honor is due. We'll no longer give glory where glory is due. And our perspective will shift moving forward from looking at the promise to looking at the problems. So we can't just remember the moment. We can't just honor God in the moment, but remember and look back on the moments that God has provided and the moments that God has blessed as we move forward. It's an attitude of gratitude, thankfulness, not just for the now, but for all he's done. They had peace, peace and they had rest because of what God had done for them. And for them, often when you see throughout scriptures, it's God doing things for his namesake, right? You look, Psalms 23, it says, he guides me along the right path for his namesake. But here it's for Israel. It's for their sake. He didn't need saving from slavery, right? He didn't didn't need guidance in the wilderness. He didn't need victory over the giants and over the battles and over the cities and over the nations. He didn't need to overcome any of that. He did it for them. God didn't need to save you. We needed him to save us because we can't do it in and of ourselves. If we think we can, we fool ourselves. 
But he did it. He saved you because he loves you, because he wanted to. So the death and the resurrection that was accomplished 2,000 years ago, we look back to that moment and we remember what God has done for us with gratefulness. Joshua is saying, you remember, you've seen everything that God has done. The moment that you confessed you were a sinner, that you gave your life to Jesus and he put a deposit of his spirit into your life, you look back to that moment and you remember what God has done for you. And the reason we look back, the reason it's important to remember is so that regardless of what we experience in the here and now, we can look back and be like, wait a moment, I know what God has done, and so I have hope right now. I have hope in the midst of this. Because of the day we committed our lives to him, what we experience now is not the end. But a day will come while he brings everything to completion. So Joshua is saying, you've seen everything that God has done. You've seen everything that God has done for you. But there's more work to be done. There's more work to be done. Israel had experienced much rest and peace. The land was allotted, but there were still nations that needed to be conquered. There's still things that need to be accomplished. And so the reason they look back is because when they look forward, they can see in the midst of the obstacle that's ahead of them, they can remember what God has done, right? So we can't just say, oh, this is great. Thank you for this moment. It's because when we get to the next obstacle and the next challenge, we want to take more ground. We look back and be like, okay, wait a second. I remember when God has done something for me. I remember 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross for my sins. Today, I remember that 2,000 years ago. And I remember a couple decades ago when I gave my life to him. And you look back so that when you're in the midst of the obstacle, when you're looking forward at the things you need to do and you're overwhelmed, because it's easy to look back. It's hard to look forward. And so we, we anchor ourselves in the past. We anchor ourselves in the things that God has accomplished because then we can look forward and be like, yeah, do you know what? But I can face that because I know what he's done. I know what he's done. It's important to remember. So Joshua gives his final address, his final instructions and specifics for the people. And I think it can be summed up in verse 8. It says this, you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. You're to hold fast, hold hard, hold tight to the Lord your God as you have until now. I want you to imagine, if you still have an imagination, I want you to imagine that you're on a ship. I want you to picture the Discovery Channel, deep sea fisherman kind of ship. I'm not a, sh I'm not a ship guy, okay? So just bear with me. I remember a show, I think there was a show called Deadliest Catch. But imagine you're on this ship and the water is raging and the waves are blasting against the ship and you need to grab a hold of the rig and hold fast. You need to hold tight. That's what this idea is referring to. The English translation is a nautical term, which means securely gripping the ship's rig and riding out the tough waters. Riding out the tough waters. Years ago, I was, uh, I was whale watching off the coast of BC. I know that sounds um, crazy, luxurious, but it's a crazy story how it happened. But we're in, we're in this oversized dinghy. There's about eight of us. I call it an oversized dinghy because that's what it felt like, but I'm sure it was probably a little more secure than that. But we're in this oversized dinghy, and the, the swell of the waves was five to six meters high. Now, we were in these, like, full orange, I have a picture somewhere, but I couldn't find it, full orange um, life jumpsuit preservers. Like, like, it's not just, like, the little ones you clip on. It's like, if I fall in the water, any part of me goes in, I'm just floating everywhere, okay? But we're in these things, and we're in this dinghy, and the, and the waves are, like, huge and I'm gripping for my life. We're all gripping for our life because we think we're going to die. That's this idea here of holding hard. Holding hard. Because you live in a nation. You live in a countryside. You live in a place where there's nations that aren't like you. And you need to hold 
hard. You need to hold fast. There are ungodly nations, people that serve and worship other gods, nations that are wicked and act in completely ways that are contrary to God's ways, whose, whose practices are so sinful that they sacrifice their own children on altars of worship. So hold hard when you live in this nation. Hold hard as you look ahead. Hold fast because the waves are going to hit you. And, the, and you're going to be tempted to live and compromise to live like these cultures around you, like these nations. And that's the same true for us today. Like we look back to the story, we're like, that's a really good story. But we live in a nation. We live in a nation that is not driven by Christian values. And we live in a nation that does similar things to those nations. And it's very easy to be influenced by and to compromise on our morals, on our values, and our lifestyle. But we need to hold hard. We need to hold hard to the rig when the waters are, are tough and they're raging against us. We need to hold hard in this nation. Because when you walk out these doors, it's easy when we come here. It's easy. But when you walk out here, you all know the temptation. You all know how hard and difficult it can be. All of a sudden, we can fall back into the pattern of conforming, conforming to the world. But we need to hold hard, he's saying. Hold hard. And if you don't, they'll become like a snare and trap for you. I don't know if you know what a snare trap does. Check out this picture. Look at that. We're going to trap some bunnies. But a snare trap captures prey and holds it hostage so it can't escape, so that the hunter can come and kill it. Did you know that there's a hunter out there trying to desire, have a, a desire to kill you, steal, kill, and destroy? The Bible says that the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. I think about this often. It's not like a lion in a cage at a zoo where he's just, you know, maybe waltzing back and forth. Like he's on the prowl. He's, he's looking for someone to devour. And so he's got these snare traps set up for you. He's got these snare traps set up for you in culture, in the nation, to trap you so that he can devour you, so he can steal the seeds that are planted in life, so he can steal your joy, so he can kill the work of God that's been happening in your life. So you need to hold hard because there's snare traps around. Your workplace is a snare trap. Your neighborhood is a snare trap. Does that mean we don't go in there? Absolutely not. We got to go there, but we got to hold hard. The Israelite people, they didn't avoid the land. They're not like, man, we can't go to the promised land because there's other nations that do things that we don't want to be influenced by them. No, we got to go there, but when we're in there and we're trying to take more ground, we hold hard. We hold hard. When I'm in that oversized dinghy, I don't get, not get in the dinghy because the waves are high. I get in the dinghy. I put the light preserver on and say, I'm ready for this, and then I hold hard. I hold hard. I hold hard. That's why Jesus said, remain in me, right? So Joshua knew that if the people were not intentional about their faith and their devotion to God, they would step out of God's covering, his blessing, his provision, and become like those nations around him. And if we reflect over our lives, have we become like the nation around us? Have we become like the nation around us? And that's why it's important to think about what we store up in our heart, because I don't know if you've ever light a little match in pitch black. It lights up a big space. Light always lights up darkness. Always. So we've got to store the light in us and hold hard. So how do we do that? How do you and I at Parkway Church hold hard while we live in a culture of compromise, while we live in a nation that can influence us to live in a way that is ungodly and contrary to the word of God? So i got three things for you found within Joshua 23. The first one is this, and these are simple things, okay? Simple truths. The first one is this, stay connected to the word of God. Stay connected to the word of God. Look at what Joshua says in verse 6. He says, be careful, sorry, he says, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right 
or to the left. In order for the people to continue to take ground, to continue to drive out the nations, they needed to stick to the word of God. And Joshua had similar instructions when he first took on this role as leader. If you remember in Joshua chapter 1, God said this to him, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you can be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. See, faithfulness and blessing and God's hand of provision is connected to our sticking to the word of God, our obedience, our obedience. I've shared this in this series. In order to obey the word, you got to know the word. In order to know the word, you got to be in the word. It's just math. You can't. I can't obey if I don't know, and I can't know if I don't get in it, right? Most of the time, people fail to walk as Jesus walked because we're not cultivating our soul. We're not feeding our soul. We're not feeding our spirits, and we rely on the hamburger that is Sunday morning once a week and hope that that will nourish our soul for the rest of the week, and that is not good enough. It's encouraging. It's life-giving. It's empowering when we come together, but it's not enough to feed our souls, the more we find ourselves in the Word of God, and you find any way to get in in you. You're like, I'm not a reader. I have such a hard time reading. Well, you can listen to audio. And you're like, well, audio is hard for me. I'm a visual person. Well, there are things now, apps, that show up on your screen every morning if you choose to with a picture in the Word written on it. You find a way to get the Word in you. post it on your, on your mirror if you have to. As you drive in the car, you, 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 I don't know, you plaster it everywhere. You only listen to certain stuff. You find a way to get the Word in you because when you leave out here, this is not enough to nourish your soul, to cultivate your spirit. You need to, you need to get in the Word for yourself. Daily, he said to Joshua, he said to the people, uh, be careful to obey all that is written in it. The Bible is not just a book of rules and stories that's in there, but it's the living word of God. And the more it's planted in our heart, the more it comes out of our being. Jesus said, what? A good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up in his heart. You want the word? You want obedience? You want faithfulness to come out? Like, man, I just, I'm having a hard time. Get the word in you. Get it in you. Get it in you. Number two, consider who you put in your inner circle. Look at what Joshua says in verse seven. He says, do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not intermarry with them. See, if Israel associated with them, their way of life and living would influence the, the, the nation of Israel. I don't know if you know, but you become like those you associate with most. If you look at the people you spend the most time with, there'll probably be very, a lot of similarities, right? Especially among spouses, family members, those you spend time with. Who you spend time with determines how your life and spirit is shaped. Now, personality plays a part, DNA plays a part, upbringing and background, but the people in your inner circle have the greatest influence. And the scriptures say, bad company corrupts good morals. Who do you spend time with? Who do you allow in your life? Does this mean that we'd never associate with ungodly people? Absolutely not, because light always drives out darkness. And Jesus went to the ungodly, right? He, he says, I came for the sick, not the healthy. I came for the unrighteous, not the righteous. But we got to hold hard, and we got to hold fast, because who we choose to allow ourselves to, to be surrounded by will influence our life and determine how we live. And so always find someone, say, man, I want to be like Jesus. Find someone that looks like Jesus and spend time with them. I want to spend time with you. Call them up at random. Send them a text message, an email. Be like, can we go for coffee? Or just spend, when they're hanging out in the foyer at the church, you just go and stand, you, you stand near them. You surround yourself with people that are going to influence you and lift you up because who you surround yourself with will influence you. 
will influence you. Number three, finally, give God his worth. Now, this seems pretty obvious, but functionally, we don't always practice it. Look what it says in, in verse 7. It says, do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. So the Canaanite nations worshipped false gods. They put their trust in idols, created objects that they believed had a source of divinity. But Joshua was saying, don't serve them. Don't bow down to them. Don't worship them. Worship God only. Now, worship, you've probably heard this before if you've been in church for a while. Worship is giving something its true value. Worth-ship. It's giving something its true value. So what is God's true value? What is God worth? Everything. If he's God, he's worth everything. He's worth all. He's infinite. So that's why our worship to God should be something that we do with all of our being, not just a song set on a Sunday morning. If he is God and worship is giving something its true value, then he is worthy of more than we can even give him. So he deserves infinite, infinite our time, and not just an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, our money, our resources, our skills, our abilities, our passions, our thoughts, our relationships, our interactions, all of us, everything we have, everything we have. If worship is giving something its true value and God is infinite, then he is worth everything you have. Everything you have. But we often flip this, right, in our sinful nature. Instead of giving God his infinite value, we worship ourselves with our time, with our money, with our abilities, with our thoughts. We worship people with our time, with our money and our abilities. We worship relationships. We worship created things and materials and give people and things more worth than they're actually worth. Joshua is saying, don't do that. His final words, the words he's choosing to tell the nation before he's done with his life. Stay connected to the word of God. Consider who it is you surround yourself with. And don't worship their gods. Don't worship their gods. And that's good for us because we live in a nation like that. And if we're not careful, if we're not in the word, mindful of who we surround ourselves with and give other things more worth than they deserve, we'll conform to a pattern of life and living and thinking that doesn't reflect Christ, but reflects the world around us. Right? I'm not saying we can't live in the nation. The Israelites lived in the nation. I'm not saying we can't wear jeans because people were wearing jeans. I'm not saying we can't have houses because we're wearing houses. But how's our, how's our heart? How's our pattern of life? It's supposed to be countercultural. People, why do you give so much? Because my God gave me so much. Why are you helping me? You're getting nothing out of this. Well, somebody helped me and I wasn't worth it. Countercultural. We're going to sing one last song together as a as a church, and invite the worship team to come. Because I believe we need to cultivate our soul. We need to cultivate our soul so we continue to hold hard. So what happened in the story? Where did it lead? If we fast forward the story from Joshua 23 and we look over the next 1,200 to 1,300 years, the people didn't hold hard. The people didn't hold fast. A generation here or there maybe did, but for the most part, God's people were not faithful. If you know the story. They didn't obey the laws. They associated with the nations around them, and they worshiped their gods. And eventually, they were driven out of the land. Maybe not the generation that Joshua was referring to, but generation and generation and generation eventually were driven into exile. Yet, generation after generation after generation, God relentlessly pursued his people in faithfulness. God held hard to his covenant with the people. 
pointing towards the day of redemption, the cross, and ultimately what today marks in church history, Palm Sunday. If you travel back in time with me, fast forward from where Joshua was, but travel back in time, it's around the year 33 AD, 2,000 years ago. Jesus had been ministering and preaching and working miracles for about three years among the people, and he had gotten some fame. He became somewhat of a celebrity among the town, people. They believed him to be the coming king, and he was a king. And they believed him to be the Messiah, and he was the Messiah prophesied about for years and years. And on this day, Palm Sunday, today, 2,000 some odd years ago, he rode in on a donkey, and they worshiped him, and they glorified him, and they laid down palm branches and their coats as a sign that he was their coming king. And they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These were acts glorifying a king because he is king. We forget that. But we need to remember that he is king. We need to remember that he is king in order to hold hard. We want to we take ground in our lives. We need to hold hard by remembering he is king. But like history before them and their ancestors before them, they wouldn't hold hard and hold fast even for one week. A week later, they'd crucify him on a cross. Humanity's lack of faithfulness led God to the cross. But that was his plan all along. Because he knew us. He knows that we can't hold hard. He knows it's difficult because of the sinful nature that is in us. And so he paved a way to the cross so that we could. So that in Jesus, in the resurrection, and the spirit that is deposited in us, we can hold hard. You can't do it on your own, but there's a spirit of God in you that can. You don't have the strength to hold hard. Thousands of generations tell us that. But because of the spirit of God, you can. God's like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, as king, I'm gonna go to the cross. I'm gonna die in your place. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. I'm gonna forgive your sin. And then I'm going to come and live in your life to give you the strength to hold hard. Church, 2,000 years ago, that was done for us today. And so we look back to remember. We look back to remember that the Spirit of God is in us today. So that when we walk out these doors and you go to your workplaces and you go to your home and you go to places of influence and you're tempted to conform to the pattern of living that is around you, you can hold hard because there is a Spirit in you. The Spirit of God. A good man brings good things that are the good stored up in his heart. So in order to cultivate the presence of Jesus in our hearts, we need to cultivate our soul. I'm going to invite you to stand. If we want to take ground, we need to hold hard. Say, Pastor Call, you're repeating that, that phrase a lot. Yeah. Because I'm mindful of, of how people work and how people think that often we like things in 140 characters or less because that's what social media has done to us. And so if you walk out these doors, you remember nothing but hold hard, then you'll remember, okay, I need to look back and I, I, need, to, I need to remember that my nation, the, the places in which I live can influence me and then I need to remember to, to get into the word by, by just that simple phrase, hold hard. Hold hard. Hold hard because it's going to be rocky, it's going to be bumpy, you want to take ground. You got things to accomplish in your mind, you got to take ground in your mind, you got to hold hard. You got things to accomplish, take ground in your heart. You got to hold hard. You got family members that aren't serving Jesus. You need to hold hard. You got a workplace that's difficult to work in, to live as a Christian. I know that. Like it's so hard to be a Christian in my workplace. You don't know what the culture is. Hold hard. Spirit of God is in you. 
That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday, because a king came, a king came to pave a way. So we're going to sing this song. It's called The King of My Heart. And we're going to believe that as we sing and as we worship, that we're cultivating our spirits, that he's going to fill us to such a degree so that when we leave this place, we can hold hard. Amen. So Father God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.